How are we doing, Door Creek? Good to see you. You ready to go to Honduras? We're actually leaving right now. Let's go. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so my name is Ryan. I am the campus pastor at the DeForest uh, campus, and it's, I get to come in and share here uh, with you, and I'm really excited uh, to do that. Uh, grateful to be here with you. Grateful for our family back in, in DeForest. Uh, meeting together, worshiping God, and coming up, our, our extended family at the north side of Madison. This is a great place to be and, and call your church home uh, if you're new here. We're really, really glad you're here. So uh, we're sharing today, we're continuing our series on uh, Tales of the Kingdom. So this is looking at these parables that Jesus told that help us to understand and j- kind of jump on board with what this thing is that we call the kingdom of of God. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15 today, uh, three different stories that Jesus told. We're going to actually look at the whole chapter. Hope you're ready for that. And uh, it's going to be awesome. Just want to ask you first, what does it feel like to lose something? What does it feel like to lose something? Uh, did anyone this morning misplace your keys on the way here? Anybody? Come on, don't be shy. A couple people. All right, good. Uh, so I do that all the time. I am a key loser. That's one of my, um, that sounds funny. I'm a key loser. Like that could be interpreted several ways. Uh, huh. Interesting. Uh, so no, I lose my keys. That's what I do. That's kind of my MO. I come into the door and a part of my brain just puts my keys somewhere. And then that part of my brain goes into a coma for a day, and then like the next day, I need to go to work, and it's like, all right, I'm ready to go. And by the way, I'm not like a big planner in terms of like making sure I have enough time, so I uh, tend to just like last possible minute be like, okay, I need to go. Where's my stuff? Oh, I need stuff. And keys, and that part of my brain that is in a coma is like, what, what? (laughs) Keys? And the whole family frantically searches our house, and it's frustrating, and then I find my keys, and I'm late for work. Uh, but I'm a pastor, so it's okay. And <laughs> that's, that's kind of what happens. Um, or, true story, uh, I took this cute girl out on a first date. I was like, hey, I want to buy you some ice cream and get to know you a little bit. And I, we got to the ice cream place, and I didn't have my wallet. <laughs> so guess who paid for ice cream on her first date? It wasn't me. Uh, but she did end up marrying me, so that, that worked out. <laughs> that worked out. Uh, so there's, there's simple things that, that are more inconvenient and frustrating, but then there's, there's, there are categories of losing stuff that really hits a lot harder. Um, so my wife uh, was, was with our three kids a few years ago in, in Reno in a Shields, and um, it was at that time where our youngest one, you know, so if you're parents, you, you know this, you know what I'm talking about. It's like that time when they have legs, but they don't really have a brain. You know what I'm talking about? And he has a brain now, and he's brilliant, and he's six years old, but at the time, he had legs that worked, but his brain didn't work, and he, he just liked to run off. And uh, so there was this time, she was at Shields all alone with, with the three kids, and he disappeared. Like, she's a good mom, trust me. She's really good, but he just... He didn't have a brain. So he ran off and she went to like the desk because there's always a desk at the store and they were like, okay, and they shut down the whole store and everyone was looking for him and there he was. He was like hanging out with the Packer shirts, uh, just ready to 
to take off, uh, which is actually why we ended up moving to Wisconsin, but that's another story. <laughs> but that's, that's like panic mode for a parent, right? That's, that's crazy fear, because what you're doing, you're, you're assuming that the, what, like the worst possible thing that could happen is happening at that moment, because your child is out there, and they're vulnerable, and, and they're by themselves, and anything could happen. But there, there's another kind of loss, too. It's, it's the loss of death. And, and if you've experienced that, when a loved one, maybe a child or a parent or a spouse, is, has died, then, then there's this deep, deep emptiness, right? And, and anything, the, just simple, simple things become these excruciating reminders of, of what you've lost. Now, what is it like when you've lost something or someone precious to you and then you find them again? What's that like? So we had this incredible uh, example over the last few weeks, and unless you've been yourself in a coma or maybe hiding under a rock, um, you, you know what I'm talking about. So on June 23rd in Northern Thailand, a soccer team of 12 teenage boys and their coach were on this post-game field trip and they took a detour into a cave. And they were exploring its side, they were supposed to just be there for like an hour, and what happened? Well, monsoon rains came and started flooding the entrance and they couldn't get out. And so they had to go deeper and deeper into this cave until they were just in utter darkness, just surrounded by waters. Now, now think about this, because they were in this dark hole under the ground for nine days, nine days. Uh, claustrophobia, right? Fear, panic. So that's, that's their experience, the, the, just the utter fear of being lost, and they had no idea if anyone was going to find them. I mean, tr- just trying to hang on to hope in that situation is just, just crazy. And I thank God uh, that they were found. But now, put yourself in the shoes of one of their parents. So you're, you're up on the surface, you know your, your son is lost, and you know that they found your kid's bike and maybe their soccer cleats by this cave entrance. You know it's flooded with water, but you have no idea if they're alive. I mean, how does that feel? It's terrifying, it's, it's exhausting. And nine, 10 days go by, and then two divers emerge with this image. That, isn't that just the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? There's your son. Alive, trapped, but alive, right? And, and there's this, an, another image that I found. Um, it just shows that very moment. So this is, this is a set of parents. That moment that they saw this, this picture. And what are they feeling right then? They're feeling relief, joy, delight, right? Hope. And, and this is what goes on in God's heart. There's, there's longing and there's this gut-wrenching compassion for people who are lost, but then there's, there's gladness and there's relief when they're found. And God's kingdom is all about finding lost sons and daughters. It's all about finding lost sons and daughters. And then God takes the ones who are lost and who were lost, and he says, now I want you to join me in seeking out those who are lost, and then when we find them, let's party together. In Luke 15, 
shows us this rhythm of lostness and joy that takes place in the kingdom of God. And in this chapter, Jesus tells us three parables, and they kind of act like a one-two punch. So the first two parables is these short little stories that are like two jabs, and then the, the final one, the, prodig- the prodigal son, you probably are familiar with this story if you've been around church for any length of time. It, it expounds on those two, but it does something that, that just hits us like a right hook that catches us by surprise. So let's just read uh, these parables. We're gonna start in Luke chapter 15, verse one, okay? Here it goes. So this is, we're gonna start with the setup to these parables. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Okay, so this is the setup to the parable. And it's really important to, to like uh, help us to understand what these parables are actually trying to communicate. If, if we don't get the setup, then the parables are kind of like a punchline without a joke. So let's look at, um, that wasn't a joke, but thanks for laughing, one, <laughs> one of you. Um, so who's gathering around Jesus? Look at the text. Verse, tax collectors and sinners, good. Tax collectors and sinners. Now, the Greek tense of this gathering verb is really talking about this ongoing process. They have been gathering around Jesus. They are continuing to gather around Jesus. So here's the point. Tax collectors and sinners, this group of people, this category of people, love hanging around Jesus. They're flocking to him in droves. Okay? So what do the Pharisees and the teachers of the law do in response? says that they mutter. That's the new the NIV. Uh, and depending on your translation, it might say they grumble or they complain. Why? Why is that? I mean, what is the deal with these Pharisees, right? What's their deal? And so I think, I think that we need to empathize a lot more with the Pharisees uh, in, in the scriptures. Because if they were around today, they would love coming to church. They would be right here. Um, so in our society, our liberal education, I think, kind of teaches us that everyone has this backstory, right? And so whatever situation they're in, if, if they're poor, that it's not just their fault that there's kind of this system that's helped to put them in that place. But the Pharisees had a very, very different way of looking at the world. To them, tax collectors and sinners was this broad stroke category of people that included people who were chronically ill, it included sex workers, it included people that were bucking the norms of society, the outcasts. And to them, the Pharisees looked at them and said, it is your rejection of God and your failure to observe the moral code that Moses gave us and that we added on to, it's your failure to do that, that's the reason you are where you are in your life. And that's your problem. We're not gonna mess with that. Pharisees saw this this crowd of people as really the antithesis of everything that they stood for. Because of Pharisees, they held on to tradition, and they held on to adherence to this moral code that they got from the prophets, and especially Moses, and they believed that it is adherence to that, that that was how they were gonna bring the world back. This this group over here, the tax collectors, the sinners, these people, they're the reason that our world is going to hell in a handbasket, and the way back is by adherence to this law. 
And they believed that, that adherence to the law was so important that they needed to actually add on to that law. And so they, it kind of ballooned into this gigantic moral code. They said, the better you can do this, the more you're going to stay away from that. And that's what life was about. So any, any like rule followers here? Come, don't be shy. Yeah, don't be shy. You're good. Rule followers. Okay, so um, just last uh, this last Thursday, my wife and I took our kids to Life Fest. We're like, Toby Mac, woo, Thursday night. And so as we were pulling into like the, the place to get in line to park, we realized there are a lot of people here. And it was just this infinite line of cars basically parked alongside the road. Um, and so we were like, all right, we're, we're in this thing. So we got in line and we're trucking along like inches maybe per minute. You know, you've You've been there. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, and 20 minutes in, 30 minutes in, it's like hot, and we're, we've barely gone like a quarter mile. We still have forever to go. And then something just so frustrating starts to happen. So people behind us, you know where I'm going with this, they get into the left lane, the passing lane, and they're like sneaking ahead and they're pulling in. You know what I'm talking about, right? They're cheating. <laughs> and I'm thinking, we're going to a Christian concert, right? <laughs> like people passing me have like fish stickers on the back of their cars. Like this is not right. And you can just see, like you can just feel like the, the Jesus falling off of people. <laughs> The, the people in the right-hand lane, like their windows go down and a car passes. They're like, what's up with that? And it's like New York and rush hour. And, and you, just, you just realize that we, like we right-laners, right we believe the way to success is by following the rules and staying in line. And there's that sense of unfairness and injustice. And that's what the Pharisees are feeling. Jesus, you can't, you can't be the Messiah because if you were, we would be your best friends because we're the ones towing the line. We're the ones showing up to church. We're the ones doing the work and these guys are freeloaders. They're baggage. So they mutter. It's, it's passive aggressive. Well, it's like aggressive passive aggressiveness, right? But Jesus is thinking, no, you don't get it. You're not getting the heart of the kingdom. You're not reading the scriptures that you claim to understand with the right glasses on. Because if you were, you would see that this whole thing is not about pulling together this holy huddle of do-gooders and abandoning those who are lost. It's about being moved by compassion to go get them and bring them into the fold, into the family. So that's the setup. And now he goes into the parables. So... Luke 15, verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And maybe we should add there, who do not think they need to repent. 
Verse eight, the second parable. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. And by the way, that, that was talking about uh, women wearing like basically their dowry, right? So this is her life savings around their neck or on their headdress. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So these two short examples both have the same point, and here it is, God cares about finding what's lost. Why? Because those who are lost are precious to him. That's it. Lost people who repent, which means that they turn away from their self-centered, self-destructive, crooked way of thinking and acting, and they submit themselves to the grace and the truth of God. That is a big deal to Jesus. That's what the kingdom of God is about. And so we see this pattern kind of emerge in these two parables, and here it is. I'll just put it on the screen. So both the shepherd and this woman, they had something precious, but then they lost something. So then they searched for that thing, and then they found it, and they celebrated. They had, they lost, they searched, they, they found, and they celebrated. And this, this is the heartbeat of the kingdom. I'm gonna show you another pattern. This is what God's about. God had something precious. He created a world that was good and everything in it was good. And He created people to be in perfect, unveiled relationship with him, to co-rule and tap into the raw potential of this good creation. But what happened, he lost them. He lost them because the humans rejected God. They questioned his definition of what is good and what is evil, and they usurped authority on their own. That's what happened when they took the forbidden fruit. And so God entered into this searching mode. And the whole biblical story is the story about God's plan to reunite with humanity, to find his lost ones. And this was culminated in the person of Jesus Christ who came into our broken world as one of us to rescue any who would accept him. And when God finds, he celebrates. That's, that's what happens in God's heart. His joy is in finding what is lost. So we have these first two parables, but then Jesus gets us with this third one. He gets us, and I didn't know how to like, teach this without reading through the whole thing, so can we do story time? Is that okay? You can settle in, take a sip of coffee, and stay awake. All right. So uh, verse 11, here we go. This is the right hook. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. 
I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Get this, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Curtains close on act one. Okay, that's not the whole story. There's an act two, so let's check this out. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all of these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you were always with me and everything I have is yours But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So did you catch the pattern in the story? Did you see that that pattern that we talked about? So what did the father have? What did he have? He had two sons. And what happened to his sons? Well, one abandoned him. One was lost. What about the other one? What was going on with him? Was he lost? Well, he was in proximity to the father, but there's something off in his relationship with the father. Did you catch that? Something, there's like a deep alienation between them. They're not on the same page. And here's what I think Jesus is doing. He's, He's saying the older son didn't know it, but he was just as lost as the younger son. Not because of licentiousness and wild living, but because of his self-righteous moralism. He was just as lost. So what did the father do? He searched for his sons, for for the younger brother. The father was waiting and looking out for him and he saw him a long way off and he went out and he found him. With the older son, so the older son Uh, scorned his father's invitation to this feast. And what did the father do? He left the feast, went out and pleaded with him to come back and, and to join the feast. Fathers don't do that in this historical context. They don't plead with their sons. But the father did. And and were the sons found, and was there celebration? Well, yeah, for the younger son, he he came to his senses, he returned home, but what about the older brother? We're left hanging. And we don't know. Would the older brother respond to the father's invitation to the feast? 
we don't know. And that is what this story is about. It's about God's invitation, not just for the morally wayward younger sons, but also for the self-righteous older sons to come home and join the feast. And I think typically we read this story and we spend most of our time thinking about how loving and gracious the father is to the son who left. And a lot of us tend to see ourselves maybe in that younger brother character. Like, like maybe at some point you abandoned what you knew to be right and so you went off on your own and you made some dumb decisions and you got hurt and you maybe hurt others but then you came to your senses and you're back, right? And maybe that was your journey or maybe you know about a younger brother, maybe because you're related to one or you know one. And that's good and that's good and we should focus on that. But the story isn't just about one brother because there are two brothers in this story. And, and going back to the setup for the, these parables, who is Jesus telling the story to? He wasn't, he wasn't telling these stories to a group of younger brothers. He was talking to moralistic Pharisees and, and Bible nerds. These, these are the guys who are holding on to their sacred traditions with white knuckles. And here's what this means. It means that both brothers were lost. It's just that they were lost in two different ways. So in what way was the younger son lost? Well, he, the younger brother wanted to get out from under his father's thumb, right? So he prematurely demanded his share of the inheritance. And this would have been unheard of in this cultural context. It would have been like just divorcing your family, changing your name. It, basically, what this younger son was saying to his father is, you're worth more to me dead than alive. You're dead to me. I just want your stuff. I don't want you I'm out of here. Younger brothers love independence. They love making up their own rules. They love following their dreams all the way to hell. And they hate being put in a box. And don't tell them what they should or shouldn't do with their time and their bodies and their money because they're going to scorn you and they're going to run away. And it breaks our hearts because we see how the choices of the younger brothers that we know, how it destroys them and destroys the ones around them. It hurts to love a younger brother. And I just want to address something that is definitely happening in the room right now because some of you, you have a younger brother in your life. They've broken trust with you. They've hurt you. They've rejected you and disappointed you and and right now, they're just kind of lost in a cave of their own making. And you're left on the surface wondering if they're even alive. And I just want to point out that God, in his great mercy, he has subjected himself to the pain of, of losing people who are precious to him. He knows what it's like. He's with you, and he's going to hold you up. And you don't need to pretend like it doesn't hurt, like everything's fine. No. You don't need to pretend that. But don't lose heart because that person in your life is loved and is pursued by God. And in his wisdom, he's working in their lives in ways that you and I can't see. And I hope for you, I hope that you're going to arrive to this, this moment of delight and relief and surprise and, and have that younger, younger brother come home. But I, my prayer is that when that happens, it won't be because they're just adhering to your moral code but it's because they found the truth 
and grace at the foot of the cross that only comes through Jesus. Here's the thing about younger brothers. They, they don't come to church. They stay away from church, unless they've hit bottom. Then they come to church. And why not? I think it's because church is where older brothers love to hang out. For me, like, I am in danger of being an older brother. Totally. I grew up in the church. My dad's a pastor. All, my, my wife's whole family, they're, they're in ministry. Like, we love the church. Love the church. But there's danger. There's danger because church can become a place where older brothers do nothing more than pat each other on the back and hide from the real world. Like, thank God we're not like those people out there. Can you believe those people? They're crazy. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay into older brothers a little bit because I think mostly, mostly that's what, what most of us are in danger of being. Older brother lostness is harder to spot if you're an older brother. <laughs> if you're a younger brother, it, it's easy because older brothers come off as moralistic, judgmental, hypocritical, and, and usually like, they would say that we care more about our traditions than real people. So there's this story of this little girl, a four-year-old girl named Mary, who was at a shopping mall with her mom, and uh, they become separated. And so the mom goes to the desk because there's always a desk and she says, can you please page my daughter, Mary? She's four years old and she's lost. And so they say, Mary, who is lost, uh, please come to the desk and find your mother. Nothing happens. So the mother gets desperate and she just runs around the whole mall and she finds her daughter, Mary. She said, Mary, didn't you hear your name? Didn't you hear that page? And Mary said, I wasn't lost. I knew where I was. <laughs> and Jesus was telling this story for the sake of Pharisees who were lost, but they didn't know it. And that's so dangerous, you guys. Because according to their moral code, they weren't lost. They knew exactly what they were doing. But they were alienated from the God who gave it to them in the first place. It's so subtle, so dangerous. I mean, in this story, the older brother, he stayed with the father. He worked hard for the father. He held on to the family traditions, but he didn't care about what his father cared about. Who was on the lookout for the younger brother? Not the older brother. He was busy working. And when the younger brother shows up and dad throws him a party, how does the older brother react? With anger, jealousy, accusing the, the father for being unfair. Why? Because the older brother's thinking, who's been here the whole time? Me. Who's kept this family and this business running after that kid ran away with your money? I did. I deserve better than him and I've earned your respect. So how dare you take him back without even consulting me? The older brother was lost. The younger brother was lost. In, in two very different ways, but their lostness came from the same dark place in the human heart. And this is what it is. This is what it is for all of us. They both wanted benefits from the Father without a relationship with the Father. 
They wanted benefits from the father without a relationship with the father. If the younger brother really loved the father, he never would have abandoned him. If the older brother really loved the father, he would have cared about the things the father cared about. So here's the thing, they were both lost. But did you see how the father responded in the story? They were both lost, but they were both loved. They were loved in the middle of their lostness. I mean, did you see the the patience and the gentleness of the father? So the younger brother bottoms out. And maybe that's a part of your story. You know exactly what I'm talking about. He bottoms out. He's feeding pigs, and pigs, by the way, are unclean to Jewish people. And the point of this detail in the story is to show just how much in the, how deep in the gutter the younger brother was. I mean, this would be like the modern equivalent of huffing spray paint in a garbage dumpster. And he knew there was no one else to blame. And so it dawns on him that maybe he should go back home and maybe try to quietly work off his debt because anything, anything, even being with dad was better than this. He wasn't coming home for the right reasons, was he? He was still valuing his father's stuff more than his father. But it was enough. It was enough to humble him and send him back. So he comes home and he's ready to present like his business deal with his father. And he's shocked when his father interrupts him and says, I don't care about that. We're going to (laughs) party. Right? And he, he does the thing with the ring and the robe and the fattened calf. And these are all signs that the father wasn't looking to just tolerate this kid as an indentured servant. No, he wanted his son back. That's what the father was after. And then when the older brother, he showed his own lostness by rejecting the invitation to the party, what does the father do? He went out and he pleaded with his son. He told him, look, you have everything that's mine. And and you've given me all of your effort and all of your labor but you haven't given me your heart. I want my boys back. The older brother thought that that he had earned his father's love because of his obedience, but the father was saying, you can't earn what I've given you freely. You have to decide whether you're gonna receive my love for you and receive the love and forgiveness that I'm giving to your younger brother. And we never find out what happens next with the older brother. And that's absolutely the point of the story. It doesn't end with a conclusion. It ends with an invitation. And so there are three things that we need to imprint on our hearts today. Number one, God longs for his lost ones to come home. He's not indifferent to our lostness, no matter what kind of lostness it is the moral kind or the immoral kind, in the church or out of it. He's not indifferent to it. And Jesus shows us that God, God's a father who allows himself to be hurt, wounded by our lostness. Genesis chapter three, in the garden, immediately after the humans reject God, they hide from him, and what does God say? He says, Adam, where are you? It's not, that, it's not that God didn't know where they were. He knew exactly where they were. 
but he was expressing the pain and the frustration and emptiness that he feels when he loses those who are precious to him. Later on in Luke, he records these words of Jesus. He said, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And cover to cover in scripture, that's what this whole thing is about. Number two, God wants us all to have the heartbeat of the kingdom. Jesus was dealing with Pharisees who, like the older brother, they weren't willing to be wounded by the lostness of others, and they just kind of stood by, unaffected, indifferent, aloof, apathetic, judgmental. But Jesus asks, he asks them and he asks us, will you let the heartbeat of heaven become your own? Will you join me and seek out people who are lost? Will you love these lost ones like I do? If not, if not, and this, this is for us right now, will you get on your knees and plead, beg God for compassion? Like if you're not feeling that, you're, you're alienated from the Father. And I promise you, that when we pray, we plead with God for his compassion, for his heartbeat for the lost, he is going to answer that prayer. And you can do that today. You can do it tonight. And then when the lost sons and daughters are found, will you party? Will, will we like make an inappropriate ruckus? That's hard for us. White people, mostly, you know, we're, we're mixed here. But come on, this like culturally... We're like not, we're like, yay, you know, shy. No, no, like Aaron Rodgers, Hail Mary at the last second, touchdown, get up out of your seat. Yes, will you party with God? Because that's what's happening in heaven right now. And if we don't know how to get down with the angels now, we're going to hate it there. Number three. God subjected himself to the pain of being lost through Jesus. As he was being crucified, Jesus looked up to the sky and said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Do you know what Jesus did for us on that cross? He entered into the deep, dark cave of our lostness and he died there, utterly alone, cut off from his father, why? So that we could be found. And there are some people here who haven't accepted that great sacrificial gift yet. And I would love for you, before you leave today, to accept that gift and to come home to the feast. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled by your gracious love. We're humbled by your patience for us. And there are ways that we've rejected you that have been cleverly disguised. And we want to bring that under the light of your truth right now. I pray, Lord, that we would be emotionally and uh, behaviorally in tune with who you are and what you are all about in your kingdom. Help us to join you to celebrate. In Jesus' name, amen.